And finally, ask that the Lord will send you a word this evening. Say, Lord, send me a word this evening in the name of Jesus. Say, Lord, send me a word this evening in the name of Jesus. Send me a word this evening. That the vessel, Pastor Banky, that the Lord has prepared, that the Lord will give him a word for you. I believe there's a word for you. Say, Lord, give me that word. We give you praise, Lord. Thank you so much for your word that you are sending to us. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Lord, again, we come before you to receive that bread from heaven. All over the world, as your people gather to listen to your word, Lord, we ask that you send their own word to them in the name of Jesus. Heal that person that is sick, that person that needs direction, that is confused. Lord, we ask that you send direction to that one. Above all, let Jesus be glorified. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Um, today, I'm going to teach a bit. And what I want to explain about is um, the basis of faith, or one of the principles by which faith works. Very important to understand, one of the principles by which faith works. Because sometimes people are praying, but without realizing it, they are not really praying effectively. This is our school of prayer. And we are trying to do things that will make our prayers effective. Prayers are very important. We must pray. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to get tired of praying. Praying is important. As believers, we must pray constantly. If prayer was not important, Jesus would not have emphasized it to us. The apostles would not have emphasized it to us. And if everything that happens on the earth automatically is the will of God, then Jesus would not have told us to pray that it will be done on earth as it is recorded or, or as, as it has been determined in heaven. So what that tells us is that what happens on the earth is not automatically the will of God. Okay, The will of God has to be birthed. The will of God has to be engineered. The will of God has to be prayed into existence. That's where we engineer it. That's how we birth it. That's what I mean. The will of God is something that will be done under two circumstances. Or two things must be put together to get the will of God into our lives. Number one is for us to pray about it. And number two is to live a life that is in accordance with what God wants to do. Now, that will of God will be done when we pray. If, we, if that was not the issue, Jesus would not have asked us to pray that it will be done. Now, the difference between the will of God and the judgment of God, I've explained here and there. And what is the will of God? Is that which God has already predetermined as that which is pleasing to him, as that which he desires, as that which is totally in agreement with his purpose. But what is the judgment of God? What we experience on the earth is the judgment of God. The judgment of God is that which God decrees when he has put a number of things together. Listen to these three things he must put together to release his judgment. Number one, his will. Number two, the behaviors of the people on earth. And number three, the prayers of the people on earth. These three things are put together for God to release a decree. Now, what I say, when I say decree, oftentimes this is where I have some conflicts that people disagree with some of the things I say, especially if you have a background on some of the teachings of faith we had those days. They give you the impression that God is very good and God never does anything that hurts people. God never does anything that is wrong. But the truth is that God is always right. He never does anything that is wrong. That's a matter of fact. However, God's primary assignment is not to make you feel happy. His primary assignment is not to make you feel good. His primary assignment is not to save people. His primary assignment is not, you understand, to give you prosperity. His primary assignment is not to heal. 
These are good things. They are things that are more important to God than that. One of the things that are more important to God is justice. He must be just. He must be just. One of the things that's important to God is to establish his righteousness. And that's why the Bible talks about the things that please him, that were created for his pleasure. I hope you're getting my point. We must bear those things in mind. We are created for his pleasure. So before God blesses people, he must ensure that his justice is not questionable or is not um, uh, altered or the integrity of his justice is intact. He will never bless people if the integrity of his justice is not intact. Now, as part of being just, God has to discipline people. If he does not, he is not just. Now, that's the conflict people often have. When God is doing his judge job, that is the job of being a judge, when he's playing his role as a judge, we often ascribe that to the devil. We keep on saying that it's only the devil that steals and kills and destroys. The devil steals and kills and destroys. That is true. But it's not the only one that kills. God says something. I was discovering of our brothers just now. And we just read something from the book of, um, I think, let me quickly just check it out. Reading from one particular portion of the scriptures. The book of um, Deuteronomy chapter 32. The Lord was speaking through Moses. He said, look now, I myself am he. There is no other God but me. I am the one who kills and gives life. I am the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. He said, now I raise my hand to heaven and declare, as surely as I live, when I sharpen my flashing sword and begin to carry out justice, please bear that in mind, justice, I will take revenge on my enemies and repay those who reject me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword with devout flesh, the blood of the slaughtered and the captives and the heads of the enemy leaders. Now, that was God talking about himself. Sometimes he will say, I'm about to invent evil against these people. And he was talking about his own people. You must bear that in mind. Because sometimes people give the impression that God never does anything negative against people that claim to be his own. Now, Paul said, judge yourself so that you will not be judged by God. You understand my point? It's important. So if we don't judge ourselves, we may be judged by him. Very important we understand that. So these are the things that God puts in place to release his judgment. First, his will. What does he really want? What does he really want? Secondly, I said it earlier, for his will to be done, one of the things we must do is to make sure that we are living a life that is in accordance with his will. For example, he wanted Israel to be blessed in the promised land. And he said to them, if you want to be blessed in the promised land, these are the laws you will live by. So Moses said to them, this law is your life. This is not I do talk to you. This is how you are going to live your life. And he said to them, if you don't do this, if you walk after the manner of the people you will meet in that land. See, the way I took them out, I will also take you out like that. People say that is Old Testament. It's not true. That is the word of God. Because Paul said these things were recorded for our learning. They were written down as examples for us. And if you read throughout the New Testament, he kept on giving that same warning to believers. And believers, please be warned. He said, judge yourself so that you will not be judged. It is important. If you go and read Revelation, Jesus warned again, I will come and do my judgment in the midst of you. But if you don't want me to come, these are the things you do. You know, things like go back to your first love. Things like endure. Things like don't tolerate Jezebel. Things like don't walk in the way of the Nicolaitans. Don't walk in the way of Balaam. These are things that he told them they were doing those things, and he said if they don't stop doing them, he will be forced to come and execute judgment in their midst. 
Listen, that's why I took the second, I mentioned the second point. We have to live a life that is in accordance with God's will for his will to be done. Then third, very important, especially in the context of what we're doing this um, evening, is the prayers of the people. When people pray, they have prayers of repentance. You have prayers of petition. Sometimes you just make requests like Solomon, like Moses would do. When the people have sinned, thereby provoking the negative judgment of God over their lives, Moses will come as an intercessor. And as an intercessor, he will ask God. He will plead with the name of God. You are the merciful God. You know, you are the, you are the kind God. You will show mercy upon the people, the children of your friends. You know, you talk about that. Then God will say to Moses, we say to Moses, okay, because you have asked, I will delay judgment. You understand? There are times God will say, okay, I want to do this. A man like Amos will look and say, ah, Lord, if you do that, Israel will not survive. And God will say, I will delay that judgment. Oh, you understand? Because these people are asking. But sometimes the iniquity of the people can be so great. Now listen to this. It can be so great that God will say it is too much. There's nothing I can do. He looked at a man like, um, I think it was Ahab or Jeroboam. He said, this iniquity cannot be atoned for with sacrifice. He said, this one, no, 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 this one is not too, is, is too much. I have to destroy all the men in that house. I cannot, I cannot accept sacrifice at this particular point in time. So Jeremiah began to pray. And God said, listen, Jeremiah, you must understand what is going on here. The iniquity here is too much. It can no longer be atoned for, for sacrifice. Like the prophet said that God warned them again and again. He sent prophets to them again and again. But they refused to listen to the prophets until there was no remedy. Sometimes things are so full. But at least until we get there, prayers work. You understand? And listen to me. Prayers only suspend judgment. They can't end the judgment. Intercession only suspends judgment. It does not terminate it per se. The only thing that really terminates judgment is repentance. The only thing that really terminates judgment for people to ask God and change their lives. Now, we talked about the story of Nineveh the other time. Um, Job got to Nineveh. And Job said, in 40 days, you guys are toast. And then they went and repented. Now, when they repented, God, you know, you know he desisted from what he wanted to do. Very important. Okay? So let's bear that in mind. What God does is, if anybody will repent, if any, listen to me, no matter how much God wants to destroy, if only the people will repent, he will stop his judgment. No matter what. Once, if the people will repent, in fact, sometimes, when he's so determined to judge and punish, you understand, he will have to remove the ability to repent from some people. So he said to Isaiah, go and deaden the ears of these people. You will say to them, hear and don't understand. See and don't perceive. Don't understand what is going on. He said, why? He said, I don't want them to repent and I will have to heal them. <laughs> Sometimes it gets to that point. He said, no, no, no. no. I, because once people repent, there was a time Ahab had done a lot of evil. A lot of evil. Ahab had done evil. God said, therefore, I am going to judge him. So he sent a prophet to him. And Ahab went home and lay down and began to cry. And God said, look at how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Do you know the judgment was suspended? So anybody that will repent, anybody that will change his or her ways, God will forgive. But please, we are not doing God justice by painting him wrongly that he doesn't judge people. I get into that discussion once in a while. I see Christians who insist that everything is from hell, is from the devil. It's not true. It's not true. Read the whole counsel of God. Let's read our scriptures. God judges the earth. God judges his people. God destroys. He kills. He hurts people. 
I don't know why we can't seem to accept that. When it is written all over our Bible, both in the New and the Old, what we call Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, he was the one that destroyed the whole of the earth and spared only one family. He was the one. He was the one that went into Egypt and said to liberate my people, I will kill your firstborn. He did not say, I will open the door for the devil to come out. If that was the case, that means the de- God is just there to regulate the activity of the devil. I hope you're getting my point. So the devil is always trying to kill. God will just hold him back. Don't kill this one. No. Then go and kill Okay, I'll hold him back. No. No. That is not so. He says, listen, I am going to, he said, Israel is my firstborn. So you let him go. Otherwise, I will kill your firstborn. That's what he said. Concerning Esau, the Bible says that therefore God killed him. It was God that killed Saul. People say, no, that was old. it's not Old Testament, my brethren. It is the same one that the Bible calls the scriptures. If you ever read in the New Testament, them talking about scriptures, they were referring to what you and I call the law, the prophets, and the writings, what we call the Old Testament now. That was what they called the scriptures. Please, it's important, because when we don't do this properly, people don't fear God. They expect that Voltron will come and defend them when there is trouble. His job is not to defend people. His job is to establish his righteousness. What he does is to establish his righteousness. And I say it again under the spirit of God. If the earth will not repent, he will judge them again and again. And when God is judging, his place comes in four dimensions. There's what they call pestilence. Pestilence that waste at noonday. Outbreaks of diseases. It happens. And it comes from the hand of God. Not just the hand. The devil can do his own. But we're not discussing the devil. We're discussing the judgment and the anger of God. This God that I serve. The God that we serve. The God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gets angry. Jesus himself gets angry. And when he's angry, people perish out of the way. I hope you're getting my point. He judges people. He does. We need to fear him. We need to tremble before him. We know there's just one thing that he judges for, and that is iniquity. If we depart from iniquity, he will show mercy. But we cannot, listen to me, I said this earlier, if people remain in their iniquity, it's only for a short while that your intercessory prayer can suspend judgment for them. When God suspends judgment because of the intercession of the saints, it's temporary. It is temporary. Take example, a man like Moses. God suspended judgment over Israel because he prayed. But do you know, they still all perish in the wilderness. God said, look, my judgment, my justice must be established. All of them still perish in the, perish in the wilderness. And they took Moses with them. He was the intercessor. Listen, what intercession does is to suspend judgment, giving people the time to repent. So if judgment was supposed to come today, intercession may suspend it for a week. But the intercess, intercessee, intercessor, intercessee, yes. The person you are praying for, <laughs> I just invented that word. The person you are praying for, don't forget, part of the prayer you will pray is for revival in his or her life. Part of your prayer you will pray is, hey, Jesus, please, meet my brother, meet my sister. Reveal yourself to him. Turn his heart to faith. Turn her heart to faith. Please, let him know. Because eventually, God will say, I have tried for you and tried for him. The last 20 years, we've been praying like this. Will I still be just if I don't reward him according to his works? Listen, God will judge every work that we do. Even if you are a Christian. 
It is not covered by the blood of Jesus except you repent. Repentance is what allows the blood of Jesus to become active in your life. In fact, every sin that God has ever forgiven, even from the time of um, Adam till now, is paid for by Jesus Christ. The one Adam paid, so the one Adam did, it was Jesus that paid. The one that David did, it was Jesus that paid. All of them, down to the one that they, uh, John was baptizing, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As he dipped them in water, he kept their sin in a closet where Jesus would come and pay for it. I hope I get my point. All sins ever forgiven. Once you offer an animal sacrifice under the promise of God, and God forgives, it's Jesus that pays. That is why we don't offer animal sacrifices now. We just go to Jesus and call upon his name. And like I said a few weeks ago, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord in this season will be saved. Every single person. It is Jesus that forgives. Please, I'm just explaining the importance of prayer. It's very important to understand it. Prayer is one way by which we suspend the judgment of God. We can hold it back, but not permanently. And especially in this particular season, Christians, when you are praying, I saw some people, I think it was on TV, talking about God to heal the world, asking for mercy. I said, this is good prayer. This is a good song. They were singing it. But remember, if you are praying that kind of prayer, add a request for revival. There has to be. If God pulls off judgment, that is, he suspends judgment, when he comes back with the judgment, it will be worse than the one that was suspended. But the people can ensure that never happens. If repentance comes. So that is what is called revival. The church needs to know that this earth is being plowed. You know when you want to farm, you plow. You soften the earth. You harrow it. You know, you prepare it. And I believe that that's what God is doing. Then you have to rush in and prepare things. What I'm going to say is that it is easier to have it. Somebody said, I was reading it somewhere. He said, generations have never seen trouble. They don't seek God. If a whole generation has never seen trouble, they don't seek God. People don't realize. Said, you know, please, let me say it again. Stop preaching this your satanic gospel. That is Satan, Satan. Uh, when I say satanic now, you know, praise him. Tell people the truth. The creator of the heavens and the earth gets angry. Why does he get angry? When people don't acknowledge him. Even humanly speaking, we demand copyright, you know, what do you call it? <laughs> if I copy your work now, I must put your name there. When you don't acknowledge God, he gets angry. And when he's angry, he punishes people. He's not just holding the leash on one crazy, human, uh, crazy fellow called Satan. That only when Satan wants to kill, I will, I will allow. No. Sometimes he will call. He says, I will whistle for a bread of prey from far. I will say, come, come and devour flesh. God does that. There are times he whistles. So let's tell people the truth. That this God is to be feared. It's not just to be revered. You know when you enter in temple, you just you bow your head. I hope you're getting my point. He is to be feared. When I say feared, you should be listen, the meaning is forget this gist of reverence. I don't understand the meaning of that reverence. The meaning to listen, you must understand something. Love for God is not when I see him, I'll hug him. You can't hug him. He's not huggable. Love for God is not to kiss him. 
You must understand, his emotions are slightly different from all of these things. I'm looking forward to see my Jesus. When I see him, I'm just going to hug him for all the... You're not serious. Go and read your Bible. When you come near his presence, you will fall down flat on your face. If a man loves me, he will hug me. Was that what he said? If a person loves me, what will he do? We keep my commandments. Keep my word. Love for God, that's what it is. It's not affection. In the same manner, fear for God is the same thing. It's not trembling like this. Or reverencing who is passing. <laughs> you know, holy awe comes over me. It has no meaning. Whether you have awe or you don't have awe. Once he gives a word, obey it. What is fear? Obey it because if you don't obey it, there will be a just recompense of reward for disobedience. Bear it in mind. That is the meaning of fear. You, you don't fear God if you don't reverence his word. When I say reverence his word, like when he said something, you should hold it with care that this thing must not break. That's the meaning of fear of God. If he says, I want to give a simple illustration. If he says, don't be anxious about anything. To reverence God means that be afraid of being anxious. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Even though it appears simple, that you don't let God says, don't be, don't be anxious. Don't have any anxiety. As your heart is about to go, say, no, no, no. In the name of Jesus, I have confidence. I have faith. My, my heart is not anxious. I'm at peace. Why? Because if you are anxious, you are disobeying. He said, rejoice. Again, I say what? Rejoice. Whether you feel like rejoicing or you don't, so that you now have to rejoice. You have to rejoice first before you now rejoice. Are you getting my point? You have to learn how to rejoice yourself, Oko. Things are bad. You say, <laughs> I rejoice because he said rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. God does not give advice. He gives instructions. It's not counsel. It doesn't give counsel. You know, it's good though. Just try and rejoice. Rejoicing it will increase your dopamine level. It will give you, it will release the endorphins. You will not feel pain. You will feel, uh, you know, just try it. Try it. Try it. Try it. God doesn't do that. When he says rejoice, you must rejoice. Even if bad things are happening around you, you still put up your hand and say, Lord, I rejoice in the Lord in the name of Jesus. Why? You don't want, that's the meaning of fear of God. You don't want to disobey him. You must never disobey him. That is the meaning of fear. So the world has to be taught. The church must arise and preach the truth. It is not true for us to give the world the impression that God is their votum. No. He is a judge of the living and the dead. He is a judge of the earth. Let us preach that. And please, this, this gospel of God just wants to heal you. is not right. He wants to heal you, but he will hurt you. If you don't do what is right. If you don't believe, you, have, you are condemned already. He will send you into eternal damnation. And don't think it's a joke. He has done it before. Let's tell people the truth. They say that, you know, you want to nice God up. You know, we are so ashamed of what God really is. People have called him all kinds of names. I saw one man write about it. He said, he doesn't understand this thing. But one thing he knows for sure. That that God in that Old Testament is bloodthirsty. I said, I don't believe, I don't think you believe in him. Because if you did, you wouldn't be, you'd be afraid to call him bloodthirsty. Because he would drink your blood next. He read through, he read through the, what we call the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And he saw blood flow. And he said, God is bloodthirsty. 
You know the truth? God himself is not bloodthirsty. His sword is. Did you not read it just now? The sword of God is thirsty for blood. He said, I will make my arrows drunk with blood. That's Deuteronomy chapter 32. So, if he thinks he has insulted God, God said, very good, now you understand. Better line up before I drink you too. <laughs> Listen, let's get it clear. Let's not be ashamed of who he is. That is what he's like. He said, Bangi, how do you know? That is what I read in my Bible. Both in the Old and in the New Testament. He's not just a good God. More important than being good is being just. More important than being good is being righteous. You know, I was looking at, um, I was talking to my wife the other day. Uh, was it yesterday? I, was just, I just picked up the book of Job. I do that once in a while. I just pick one book and begin to read. And I said, I said something to her. I said, this is interesting. You know, we used to say things like this. That when Job said the Lord gave and the Lord has taken. That what happened was that Job did not have revelation. Now we, we have revelation. Because we have revelation, we know that the Lord gave, but Satan took. I hope you're getting my point. That's what we used to say. One man said that Job said, though he slays me, yet I will trust him. He said, no. Though Satan slays him, yet he will trust the Lord. <laughs> you know, I went and I read it carefully. I asked my wife, I said, wait, oh, baby, look at this. Who took from Job? Was it Satan? We looked at it closely, and it's not true. We found that it's not, it was not Satan that took from Job. It was God that took from Job and gave to Satan. Satan came to claim what God put in his hand. Read your Bible well. I don't have time to go to read now. So when Job said the Lord gave and the Lord has taken, he was more accurate than us. Because Satan came as an accuser. Then God said to him, everything that he has, I have given into your hand. Who took it from Job and gave it to his hands? It was God. He said, but I have not given you his life. So no matter what he did, he could not touch Job's life. If it is today, we will have medical, and just like we are not teaching medicine here, I will have shown you how we can, we can tie the calamity that befell Job to the sickness that came upon him. There will be a medical explanation. That's what we do, tie things together. I would not think we have understanding. We actually don't have understanding. We're just observing. But we know as a matter of fact that what happens when Satan came first time, took everything as God had given to his hands. So Job was not wrong when he said the Lord has taken. And that's something God is trying to do to us believers. Don't occupy yourself with this Satan thing. There's only one thing Satan can do which you have to be careful about. Which is what? Temptation. He can tempt you. He tempts all kinds of ways. If you're a very low-level person, pardon me for using the expression, Satan can be telling you things like, tempting you with things like, ah, look at that girl, you know, go pursue him. You're a married man. No? Just know that your, your salvation is still hanging by a bond thread. You're not a serious person yet. I'm telling you, as a matter of fact, I'm not saying that once in a while, things like that, but you know, like I say, some things are not temptation. People have come to me before with certain things. And one day, I was supposed to examine somebody who, who died. I was to tell, tell the cause of death. Hmm. Three men were inside prison. Police detention already. Accused of beating the fellow. And then denied that as a result. Well, 
in my examination, I concluded that he died from a brain tumor. Meanwhile, one of those people came and said that his brother wants to talk to me. So he gave me the phone. The brother happened to be an oil dealer, you know, big guys, Niger Delta, all of that. That they need to teach these boys a lesson, so I should just help them and cooperate. I didn't understand what he was talking about cooperation. Finally, the last day, the guy now came and said that the brother sent money to give me. I looked at him like, before God punishes you, I think I'll punish you myself. <laughs> now I'm going somewhere. I said, I did not consider it a temptation. I didn't ask him how much your brother sent. Three men were in detention, accused of beating a man to death when they did not. I will not take money from you. There were two policemen there who came to collect the report. I will not take money from you and write that the man was beaten to death. And I want my children to prosper in this life. What am I going to say? I did not consider it a temptation. I'm sorry, Lord, I'm not bragging. Thank you for your grace. I did not consider it a temptation. It wasn't. It wasn't. But Satan tempts different ways. If you are not falling for that, doesn't mean you are strong. Let him that thinks he stands. Take it, lest he falls. There are other areas where you can get iced. Unforgiveness is a very strong temptation which you fall for every day. Sometimes I've had funny reasons to be angry with people. If I tell you the reason, you, you almost fight myself. Funny reasons. But really, in my heart, I feel justified. But I still know I have no basis. So, because my body will just be feeling angry, I now carry the anger to prayer. I say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I'm not angry. That's what it means to confess. Lord, I'm not angry. In Jesus' name, every anger. Why? It's temptation. Say, listen, that is how you resist the devil. All this one of uh, devil, in the name of Jesus, you will not take my money. Devil, in the name of Jesus, you will not enter my house. It's nonsense prayer. I'm sorry to say it like that. Because if you open the door for look, no, think about this. Think about this. You leave, you have your door open. It's seven, for those of you who don't know mosquito biology, let me teach you a bit about mosquitoes. They swarm in the early evenings and early mornings. So around 6.30, they start maturing and flying out of their ponds. You know, I learned that on during NYC, I saved when there was plenty of mosquito. And we didn't have mosquito net. I learned how to handle them. Now, you know, as me, I leave my door open. And I come and stay somewhere. In the name of Jesus, it's 7.30 or 7 o'clock. In the name of Jesus, mosquito, you will not enter. You will not enter. You will not enter. They will say, bros, if you don't want us to enter, what do you do? Close that door now. So as I'm saying you will not enter, they say, no, we don't understand. This guy, make up your mind. Are we entering or we're not entering? Mosquito, you will not enter. <laughs> mosquito will just go and carry seven mosquitoes more wicked than himself, and they will pass through the door. Why? I left the door open. Many times, we are resisting the devil. You know what we have done? We have thrown the door open. What we need to do, if we want to resist the devil, is to find out the doors he uses and close them one by one. As Christians, he uses the doors of division, worldliness. Pride is a very powerful door Satan uses to enter people's lives. So if you leave those doors open, they pray from now to tomorrow. As you are saying, I resist you, Satan will stand beside you. Yeah, I resist him too. We resist him. So Satan will look and say, have we finished praying? Can we go inside now? You tell, you tell him, no, yes, you enter. He will share your sitting room with you. When it's time to sleep, say, bro, sleep on that side. I'll sleep on this side because this bed belongs to the two of us. Why? You left the door open. 
That's why I said, humble yourself. That's it. Then you resist the devil. He will flee from you. The prince of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. That was what Jesus said. Why? Every single time he was tempted, whether by his flesh or directly by Satan, you know what he did? He successfully resisted. So, Satan could have nothing. There was nowhere to hold. We know the temptations in the, let's start with that one, the ones in the wilderness. Turn these stones to bread. Jesus, you know how you answered. Man shall not live by bread alone. Make lots of the shot. He succeeded in that. Jump from here. Everybody will shout, Babake. <laughs> but nothing will happen to you. Because, you know, he will give his angels charge of sending you and all of that. He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's what is written. He said, okay, let's leave it like this. Say you came to save the world. Let me give you the whole world. Then you can save them anywhere you like. You can put them in the fridge. You can put them in a cage. You can do anything you like with them. But first of all, just one teeny weeny little thing. Just bow to me. And Jesus said to him simply, It is written, You shall worship the Lord thy God alone. And it's the only one that you will serve. Simple. That's resistance. Then the Satan said, Okay. The Bible says he left him till another opportune time. And he came many times. You are in ministry. Leave. Your mother and your brothers, they are looking for you. Who is my mother? Who are my brethren? The ones who are paying attention to the words I'm teaching and obeying them. Those are my brethren. You want that one. Last of all, you know, so many temptations came. I don't want to go through all of them now. But many, it's not only the ones you know. You know the one, many ones we did not call temptations. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Who made me a judge and an arbiter over you? That was temptation. And last of all, the most powerful of all the temptations. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That was the most powerful temptation. The cross was before him. Those were the doors Satan was opening to enter into his life. So when he said, the prince of this world is coming and he has nothing in me, it was because he overcame all the Satan's. The one that's very common with, you know, sometimes men don't understand <laughs> what they call Christianity. I was on a plane once, <laughs> and one man sat beside very long flight. So we just got to know each other. We're now talking. So we just just see me. He lives in Germany. He just came to Nigeria. You know, he was going back. So all this, we're just talking, talking, talking. We just, you know, don't know just that yesterday night, that his, girl, his wife and family, they are in Germany. His girlfriend was just annoying him. He just ignored her, turned on the bed, and started reading his Bible. <laughs> Did you hear that? He looked at the man like, what? He did not know it was wrong. He was telling me about it. I said, what? Normally, if your wife and children are in Germany, and you come to Lagos, and you have to take a girlfriend, you don't discuss Bible with anybody. Yeah, you get my point. <laughs> I thought everybody knew that. But he would just explain it to me, you know, like, um, and there are people, that's a very common thing, very, very common. There are people, they go to look for prayer. The wife and children, they are in Abuja. So they've been locked down in Enugu. So they've locked down with one babe here. They did not come to Pastor Kibuti for prayer. And they tell the, <laughs> the girl to wait in the car. Thank God he's not a false prophet. But the false prophet now said, every power, fighting your destiny, you die by fire. Jesus, God, Jesus said, no, wait, wait, wait. 
Come and see the power fighting his destiny. He's downstairs. She's downstairs in the car there. They will be shaking their head, resisting Satan, resisting Satan, resisting Satan. You cannot re- listen. Satan. You know, sometimes, some of the prayers we pray, we should ask ourselves, where did you see it prayed in the Bible? Where did you see anybody pray like that? There are many prayers we pray. I said, where did we give these? We'll quote scriptures. Quote your scriptures. I understand how you deduced it. But let's now look for examples. These things are written for as examples. Let's see how Paul prayed. Let's see how Peter prayed. Let's see the kind of prayer that James offered. Let's see what John said in prayer. Then let's go back to the Lord Jesus. There are so many examples of how he prayed. Let's see the kind of things that he said. Satan was in front of him. Did you see him say, I resist you, Satan? I resist you, Satan. I resist you. I resist you. You will not get me. Satan will tempt him. He will resist what? The temptation with the word of God. Many people are falling for Satan, yet they're resisting him. Honestly, you know, there are many prayer points, prayer meetings that Satan, I'm sorry to say this, is the leader. Satan will come carry the microphone. Today, the devil will die. <laughs> one day I saw one man. He said, this year, it is hell to Satan. Meanwhile, he and Satan are friends. He said, the power I'm going to use to destroy Satan this year. I burst into laughter. I said, you want to destroy your friend? You want to die? Many people carry microphones say, they want to pray. We will destroy the devil where the man talking is possessed of the devil. People of God, there's no resisting Satan but humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. That's how you resist Satan. You resist his temptation. Remember the power that Satan has? Power of Temptation. Let's just put it in a particular order first. He likes to deceive people. It makes you believe a lie. I'm sorry, I believe one of the, Satan, one of the lies he has sold to the, to the church so that our prayers will not be effective is for us to just stick in our brains that God never hurts anybody. So that way they will never pray effectively, which is actually one of the things I'm trying to explain here. So that we can pray effectively, we have to have right thoughts. He deceives people. Next, He tempts people. Deception is part of the temptation, actually. Has God really said, that shall not eat of this fruit? Not all the fruits in the garden. No, 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 no. He said, we can eat everything. But this one, we must not eat. Why shouldn't you eat? He said, the day we eat, we will die. He said, you will not surely die. The Bible says, Eve was deceived. That's what he does. The next power he has is accusation. He goes to Job. To God and says to, to God, there are two kinds of accusations. Let me quickly say it. There's an unjust accusation. He tries that one. Jesus defends you. But there's also a just accusation. In which case, Jesus can only pray to the Father to hold back judgment while the Holy Spirit tells you, you have sinned, go and repent. And the Holy Spirit will call your friend. And your friend will come to you and say, ah, please, so I want to talk to you. This thing I see you doing, I don't think is right. Or, he will say, I dreamt last night. And I felt that this thing is going on in your life. Can you just check? And then you see that Satan is about to destroy you. Jesus has held back the judgment of God because God is just. 
And the Holy Spirit is giving you the opportunity to quickly repent and quickly cancel the hand of judgment. That is why anytime you are being corrected, even if the correction is wrong, take it. I don't know what I get my point. Someone said that, look, you talk too much, you'll be abusing people, you'll be backbiting, you'll be telling lies against people. Don't start defending yourself at any point. Just say, thank you. Then go home and say, Lord, do I really do that? Do I backbite like that? Do I destroy people? Do I malign people? If that is the case, help me. What have you lost? Yes, well, say, Who told you that? Where did you hear it from? All of you are talking about me, eh? Quickly, quickly. What is all of this? You start getting angry. Maybe they are wrong, but what if they are right? Okay, maybe they create small. Let me just say what you do. When you finish fighting, then go back home and say, Lord, that one I did outside, they just both face up. Between me and you, I don't want to die. <laughs> because when a Christian is being corrected, very likely, Satan is already making the accusation, and Jesus is suspending the judgment. But like I said, you can't suspend judgment permanently. The person must repent. I hope you're getting my point here. It's very, very crucial. So Satan is an accuser. There are two forms of accusation. And I said that there's a false accusation. Does Job serve you for nothing? That's a false accusation. And God said, let's settle this one permanently. Let's handle Job remove everything he has, then Satan will not be able to talk this nonsense. And these days, we Christians are trying to empower Satan again. We are telling Christians, serve God for something. Serve him for something, you know, like I say, humor- humorously all the time. That if it is in many Pentecostals today, if Satan comes and says, does this man serve you for nothing or this woman serve you for nothing? God will do like he did not hear. Because he knows. He says, Satan, so what is it? How is it your business? Is my child serving me for something? Eh? Did I come complaining to you? Because God can't brag. He knows now. All the offering we give, we tied it to something. As I'm planting this seed, this year, doors will open. Satan will say, did he? And listen, God cannot say, in life forever. If it is true, he has to pass appropriate judgment. Anyway, so there's false accusation. But my emphasis is on the true accusation. The true accusation is the, in the, is the one in which you really did it. And that one, there is nothing. I will pray you understand. So the blood, if you sin, sin willfully, the blood does not cover that one. People make it look at like Satan cannot approach the throne of God. It's not true. He's an accuser of the brethren. He has the right. What you do to keep yourself from the evil one is to make sure you are unstained by the world. Is to make sure that you resist every temptation that he brings your way. It is not to say, I'm there and bragging, say, I'm a Christian, I have Abraham as my father. No. Now, like I said, those are the powers that Satan has. He can't kill anybody except God gives him the, the liberty. He can't make anybody poor. He doesn't, he, listen, he can't hold anybody's destiny. You want to resist him? It is simple. Don't fall for his temptations. Simple, simple. That's all. Anyway, so I'm just trying to emphasize some things, okay, concerning what, what prayer is about and why we pray and why, how we are effective in prayer. These are the things I'm trying to say. So, but the main thing I want to teach, okay, let me see how much time I have left to explain that, is um, talking about, um, okay, I said something earlier, yes. 
That's good we have the right framework in our minds. Otherwise, faith is not effective. In fact, there's no faith except the framework is right. That's why he says like this in that Hebrews chapter 11. He that comes to God must believe. Now, please, I want to modify it for a moment. He must believe accurately. I hope you're getting my point. He said he must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, so, coming to God in prayer, for it to be effective, you must believe that he is. He is what? First of all, he exists. I really don't think that's what that portion of the Bible was saying, because if you were coming to pray him in prayer before, you must know he's there. So when they say he is, there must be something in that particular situation that you understand concerning him. For example, I learned this from Miles Moro long ago. That he said when God said to Moses, this is my name, I am. Tell them that he is, well, I'm learning, I'm mixing two things. That the literal Hebrew says, tell them that, he said, my name is, I am. Tell them that he is sent you. That's what, exactly what God said to Moses. I'm telling you my name is, I am. Tell them that he is sent you. Mas Moro said, when God said that, he was telling Moses, you need to f- learn to fill the blanks. The blanks. That is, he is. He is what? That under different circumstances, you will see the name he bears. So Jesus will say, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am. So he is the healer. He is, now, in the context of our teaching for today, he is the judge of the living and the dead. He is the judge of the whole earth. So he that comes to him must know what he is. Many people cannot pray over the situation we have right now effectively because they are fighting the devil, hell, Satan, 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 Satan. Satan said, why are you holding me responsible? You not see anything from my hand. I've heard statements like God is not the judgmental God. You know that cannot be correct because the Bible didn't say so. The Bible calls him the judge again and again. So sometimes when you come to God, you must know what he is. Right now, it is so important that the church gets it right. Let's read this particular portion. My emphasis for today is that the church, the people of God, must see things from the spiritual perspective. That's my emphasis for today. That we must see things from the spiritual perspective. We, no, we must not be carnally minded. I saw a video, of course, all kinds of videos fly around, which a man is angry. Why should Chinese people eat bats? They are saying, don't cover your nose, don't touch this, don't do that, wash your hands. He said, come on, forget all of that. Where did this start from? Why are we eating, why were they eating bats? There is suya, or he says steak, I'm just giving you a Nigerian, you know. He said, there's steak, there's fish. There's chicken. Why are you eating bats? Some, some people say this came out, of course, this said, one person sent one video showing them eating centipede. They'll get ready for the next plague. Nonsense. It is not what people eat that starts plagues. Some say it escaped out of a laboratory in Wuhan. The laboratory, some people now say that America, that's the one I found very funny. America was sending the virus to China. 
Then it fe- the, the jar fell and broke, something like that, and it escaped. So there, there's, a China, there's, a, there's an American company and a Chinese laboratory. They were working together. Then they dropped the ball. The jar now broke. My boy angry. That Frederick Foss, and the one that makes me laugh, on the internet, if you want conspiracy theory, how you are the one that gave birth to your father, you will find though. That is, they will write it for you to show that before your father you were. And that there was one technology they used to make him look old. You were the father in the house. He was a they will write it for you. So you, when we go to the internet, we're digging up what kind of conspiracy theories. I just laugh. I said, this internet will confuse you. The information there is so plenty. To be able to decipher truth from, you know, from a, a, a fallacy is an art in itself. You need to pray. You know, one day I fell for one of those things. No, those very early days of WhatsApp, I fell for one. You know, how not to do something in the filling station. I didn't, that was long ago. Then the most recent I fell for was somebody released a tweet or something that um, Don Moen died. I did not know it was possible for you to tell somebody to say that a human being died when he's alive and well. I fell for that one big time. But since that time, I've learned. There's another one you see around. There are websites that some people don't know. The job of those websites is to write lies. They're not writing fine print under that Najoko. <laughs> but if everything is, let's say the, the point size is, let's say, 16 on the whole website. Najoko is written in point size 6. At the bottom, far below, below the advertisement, below, you know, they have a lot of adverts. They drag you there because of those adverts. So there's one that was flying around. They say, a man, after walking and walking, he felt he was tired. He fell asleep on the slab and they cremated him. Many of you may have seen that. People were discussing. How can? He did not wake up. They rolled him into the crematorium. He was not there. Then by the time he shouted, the fire was already on. He was born to ashes. Hey, people fall up and down. Ah, I had to, twice, I had to tell people, when I first saw it, I went to the website. I said, what I first noticed was uh, the other stories beside, I said, these are all jokes. At the bottom, they now said, this is a new satire site. That Najoko, you know, like, like Nigerian comedians would say, bros, Najoko. You go online, the Najoko site, eh, they are plenty. So if you want them to guide your prayer, oh, bros, in heaven, angels will be laughing. They'll say, comedian wants to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, all those who have gathered, God said, they didn't gather. He said, one boy sat down and typed this nonsense, put it on his website so he can attract traffic and make $1,000 a month. And you thought it was a prayer point. Let's be careful. Let's be very careful. I always tell Christians, forget conspiracy theories, run from them. They will confuse you. They are hardly ever true. You have to be very, very careful. But anyway, let me stick, stick what I'm trying to explain. So people will look at those things from that, you know, physical level. Did the virus come out from a laboratory? Was it engineered in a lab? Did it come out of a bat? One Chinese girl made bat suya for the family. Then all of them started coughing and then they died. <laughs> it's irrelevant. You can look at things from two dimensions. You can look from the physical dimension, but the prayer I pray to God is that God, help me to see from above. 
God gave Daniel the ability to see from above. So when war wants to start, Daniel will tell you who will win. He's not checking the strength of the army. He will just say, listen, after this kingdom, the next kingdom is this one. That this kingdom you are celebrating right now is going to last for 150 years. So if anything starts towards that period, Daniel will let you know that the time of this kingdom is ending. The next kingdom will arise from this particular region. He's seen it from where? Above. Christians must learn to see from above. If you don't see from above, you can't pray effectively. If you don't see from above, you think life is a game of chance. Those who will die from the current pandemic, their names have been written. Angels don't close their eyes and be throwing arrows anyhow. No, I was reading one story today. They said one man was treated for COVID-19. He was discharged in the morning. Before he he was well, fine. He was discharged in the morning. Then in the evening, he went to the bathroom in the same hospital before he left. And he collapsed and died. And I said, eh That tells you that the angel killing him or the demon killing him, whoever is killing him, doesn't care whether he's been discharged or not. He said, today is the day of death. Medically, we have words for it, too. They will tell you things like, uh, you know, he had a myocarditis, maybe when he was training, when he wanted to pee, he triggered arrhythmias. And the guy will kill and just did it, they look all of him. You guys are speaking English. He said, I bet my job here is done. Who are, he checks his list again. The next guy is five streets away. He goes to his house. I don't want to talk about angel or demon now, but this, the, the spirit, okay, let's use the word, so there's no confusion. The spirit of death collects a list. Does it kill by chance? I want us to read something just to show you. Listen, this Bible, eh, if you're a Christian, don't think that scientific advancement came up to disprove the scriptures. And that those who wrote the Bible did not know science. That's why they wrote what they wrote. It's not true. The scriptures were written prophetically. When I I say prophetically, what I mean is this. People see things that matter. They write about them. They don't write the mundane things, whether you have a microphone, you have a speaker. I don't know whether you get my point. That's not the details. Like, let me give an example. It was said that something will happen and the whole world will see it. That was written thousands of years ago. As the time was written, there was no way to explain how something can happen in one place and the whole world will see. So, until maybe until a hundred years ago, we will be thinking that uh, they'll be rewriting all kinds of stories. Then, modern day, we realize that before it happens, everybody's seen it already. Before we thought it was television, now I am happening right now in Enugu. Some of you are watching me live from another part of the world. Technology caught up with that prophecy. Are you getting my point? That the, pro- the, the technology... Look, one day I heard the recording of um, Alexander Dawi. For him, it was a prophecy. He desired to be able to reach people who cannot come to Zion City for prayer. So he prophesied. He said, I see a day when my voice will be taken from here and to the sick bed, the side of the... That is, to this sick bed of the people who are sick who cannot come here. And that from here he will pray for them. There was no radio in his time. Then he prophesied that the day will come that my image will be seen by them. 
there was no television. Some of us think that modern technology makes scriptures obsolete. It's not true. They say, at those days, uh, Galileo said the earth was round, and then they burnt him at the stake. All that, you, have you heard those things before? Lies. Half of those things you hear, not true. A man gets burnt at the stake because he had a, a problem with the local bishop. I don't know what I get my point. It has nothing to do with the scientific advancement. Most, not most now, let me just, but no, a huge number, yes. A huge number of scientific advancement were done by people of the spirit. Gregor Mendel, the father of modern genetics, of genetics, was, an, was a monk. A Catholic priest. They make you look like you either choose science or religion. It's not true. Michael Faraday was a Bible teacher. Go and read the story of people like Benjamin Franklin and all of that. Who did a lot of work on electricity, you know, static electricity and all of that. These are people who used to teach Bible in their churches. These are people that they understood by inspiration. You can go and read the story of John Washington Carver, uh, George Washington Carver. A man who was a scientist, but they said he spent more time reading the Bible than doing science work. He did his work by praying. They said that he asked the Lord, I want understanding. God said about what? He said the universe. God said you can't. It's too much for you. Pick something else. He said pick the peanuts. I want to know what's going on with this granite. As a result of that, he brought up more than 200 products from granite. Make it look as if because of the length more science, they now know more than God. Sadhu Savarai would say he had a vision of the Lord. And the Lord told him what was right with Albert Einstein's theory of relativity and what was wrong with it. You think Jesus is a prophet? So he does not know science? Take your advanced mathematics to him. And say, sir, I'm confused. The Holy Spirit will teach you, eh? You'll, start, you'll be embarrassed. Let's get it clear. We're not, going, we're not coming to a God that comes to our class to come and learn physics. No, we may not realize, but that's how we reason. We think that now science has advanced. Therefore, like some people say that, they used to say plagues and curses because they did not understand viruses. Because I love it. You found viruses now. I kill people by shooting viruses at them. Because you found the virus, you now say, I don't exist. Don't worry. I go soon kill you. That's what God does. Eh? Is that so? That you, have to, you have to learn to acknowledge God. It gets very angry when people just start saying, okay, we have identified the plague. Because you identified the plague. So it means it was not God. God knows what he's doing. If he wants to kill you, kill people, he packs them into a high-rise building and collapses the building on them. If there's no building, he opens the air, they sink inside it. I don't know whether I get my point. You cannot say they died by accident just because the high-rise building killed them. God said it was time to kill them, so I put them in the high-rise building and knocked it down upon their heads. Ah. Learn to see life from the spiritual angle. That's the point I'm trying to emphasize. The fact that you have a physical explanation does not take away the spiritual angle. A man prophesied once that this man will die in five years' time. When the man was going to die, it was a drunken driver that hit his car. The prophet just said, the Lord said to him that that particular man, for what he's doing in leading the body astray, I'm removing him from this earth 
And then in five years' time, five years, he was driving. Bam! A man got drunk and hit his car. Not the one that had an accident. The man broke his neck or something and died. Let's get this. Look, this, this life is spiritual. Let's read something here to show what's in the Bible concerning plagues. Verse 21, chapter 21 of Second First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 21. Because of time, I won't read everything. I'll just um, remind us of the story. David numbered Israel. And after everybody begged him not to do it, he went ahead and he did it. Verse 7, God was displeased with this thing, so he struck Israel. David said to to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing, but now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. The Lord spoke to God. Verse 10, go and speak to David, saying, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose yourself one of them, which I will do to you. Now, please, I want you to watch this carefully again. David was a man after God's heart. God said, choose the one I will do to you, not the one Satan will help me do for you, to, to you. I'm going to do. So God came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, take for yourself either three years of famine. So it's not El Nino that's the problem. If famine came, you could not blame El Nino. <coughs> that's the weather, you know, so, so, uh, those who understand some geography know what I'm talking about, El Nino. Or three months to be swept away before your foes. So it will not be the strength of his foes. With the sword of your enemies, why the sword of your enemies overtakes you? Or else, three days of the sword of the Lord, even pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now therefore consider what answer I shall return to him who sent me. David said to God, God now, not God, you understand? God. I'm not doing American pronunciation, I'm giving you. The man's name is God, (laughs) G-A-D. I'm in great distress, please let me fall into the hand of the Lord. For his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel. 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity. It pained him. And said to the destroying angel, it is enough. Now relax your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Onan, the Jebusite. Then David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his sword drawn in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders, covered with sackcloth, fell on their faces. David said to God, Is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who who has sinned and done very wickedly. But this sheep, what have they done? O Lord my God, please let your hand be against me and my father's household but not against your people that they should be plagued. And of course, the rest of the story is that um, the angel of the Lord commanded God to say to David, 
that David should go up, build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Onan, the Jebusite. So David went up at the word of, the, of God, which he spoke in the name of the Lord. Let me stop here. Okay? Let me just say, I need to read something. Verse 20. Now, Onan turned back and saw the angel. This was not something nobody else saw. And his four sons were with him, who were with him, hid themselves. That time, Onan was threshing wheat. That's when David came to him. Now, what I want to bring out is this. Now, what happened here was that plague fell upon Israel. Now, the number of soldiers, the, the number there, the number of men who drew the sword, okay, were 1.1 million. And people in Judah, four, seven, let's just say about over 1.5 million soldiers were the people that David had ready to fight for him. So that's men who fought. Did not include children, did not include old men, young men who were fit, did not include the priests. Those ones did not fight. The priests, the Levites. Now, to give you an idea of the population of Israel. So, now, if you not count the women, and count the children, and count the Levites, and count the old men, you're talking many millions of people. Yet, when the plague came, Halfway through, you are taking 70,000 men. I don't know what I get to what I'm going to say. 70,000 out of maybe 10 million people. Maybe 15 million. Maybe 20 million. I don't know for sure. It gives me an idea of what is going on right now. It parallels quite well. Do you get my point? Now, the Bible says it was a plague. Let me tell you the point I'm not going to make. If WHO existed... And they have flown into Israel at that time. They will have identified the virus. They will have identified the organism. When spiritual things are working, don't think they will be mysterious. And that's a confusion. A lot of people see physical things. They say, because we have discovered the physical thing, it means there's no spiritual background. Lie. The angel had a sword. You know, I had a discussion you know, with some of my classmates the other day. They said, one of them, he, he wrote from Canada. He said, I don't understand what's going on. Why are young people just down all of a sudden previously healthy? Because, of course, the general gist is that this disease does not kill young, healthy people. It only kills elderly people and those who are already sick, okay? So, and which is true, it's not a lie. Physically speaking, that's not a lie. That, you know, this is, they are seeing some young people, they are fine in the morning. That is, you see them, they've been ill for a few days. They come in the morning, they are fine, then suddenly by evening they deteriorate rapidly and then they die. That doesn't understand what is going on. So I answered, I was joking, but based on truth. I said, He said, Why? I said, Because the angel of death or the spirit of death, I said, The spirit of death does not check whether you are healthy or sick when he wants to kill. He just kills. He said, I should talk seriously. I said, Who told you I was joking? He said, We are talking science here. At that point in time, I got angry. Why I was angry was that I knew him when we were on campus, we were classmates, and he was a very active believer. So that really provoked me to anger. That what are you talking about science as if it is the will, it is God, more, it's superior to what we're talking about. If the spirit of death latches on you, use all the explanations you have, you're still going to die. Use the best drugs. I said, what is all of this what you're saying? 
I said, paint yourself with the blood of Jesus and let the plague pass over you. Well, you're telling me something. He said, are you trying to tell me that all those people that died did not have the blood of Jesus over them? I said, that's precisely what I'm saying. I said, it's precisely what I'm saying. Like I said the other day here. They cover you with the blood. You stick your leg out. Even the person, the angels, they said, if I see the blood, I should pass over. They said, stay inside. Your bingo runs out. You now decide to go and look for your dog. At the time, whether you are not, whether you are inside or not, trouble. No people like to. Like, I, I, I've had discussion that uh, this thing is killing evil Christians. Who said it will not? Who said it will not? Apart from the general principles of scriptures, you must understand that God deals with people individually. I, I hope you get my point here. And there are times to tell the Christian, I'm taking you away. And play, come say, okay, good, good excuse to use to explain to your family where you went. You think God wants to be doing enough work with God until he was not? There are people that do that. They will not spend the whole time writing missing, missing, missing. They'll be looking for you everywhere. There are times the Lord will say, wait, wait, wait. Give them something to find so that this quarrel will end. If they don't find anything, and they say your wife killed you because he wants to inherit your, your goods. Then police now arrest your neighbor. Say he's the one. God said, no, no, let's settle this matter. Die with a known plague. They will call it, medically speaking, we'll call it a natural death. What, what medicine calls natural death means that the cause of death is a recognized disease. So, God, so sometimes, Christians go. But that does not change the principle. What, what I'm going to explain here is this. The fact that we find viruses... We find bacteria. Christians should not just allow that one to confuse them as to what is the real cause of what is going on. These are spiritual things. In this particular situation, there was an angel that had a sword. How he was using it, I don't know for sure, but he was using it. And because of that, because of his activity, 70,000 people were dead. And how did he stop? They did not do... Now, listen to me. I wrote, for those who haven't, please try and lay hands on my little book, which I released last week, titled um, The Mark of the Beast. Okay? You can, just, you can find it on our website. It's, still, it's on the homepage now. It's a very small... It's about 200 kilobytes. So you read it in about um, 30 minutes. You're a fast reader, one hour, two hours maximum. If you want to digest it properly, you may take up the two hours. But it's a very simple book to read. In the book, I explained something. When talking about uh, Antichrist and no Antichrist, I said, listen... Any technology the Antichrist finds on ground when it comes, he will use it. If you like to be using 1G, 2G, 3G, 10G, or no G at all, he will still manifest when apostasy is ripe. Once apostasy is ripe, he will manifest. Now, what I'm going to explain here is the fact that I said in that book that technology is neutral. Anybody will use it any way they like. For we believers, it has been the Roman road for spreading the gospel of God. For the little antichrist in this world today is the way by which they spread all kinds of evil. Pornography. Internet fraud. Identity theft. is all over the place. Fake news. That's the antichrist spirit. Okay? So, all of this work. What I'm going to say is this. Whatever scientific information that is on ground at the time 
when the spirit of death comes, he will take advantage of that information. I don't know whether you're getting my point here. So if the spirit of death wants to kill people, you can identify the virus he's using. Call it SARS-CoV-2. That's the one for COVID-19 now. But it is still the spirit of death that is working. When David was going to stop that plague, what did he do? He went, bought the threshing floor of Onan or Arana, same person, or Arauna, same person, bought the threshing floor, offered his sacrifices there, and that was the end of the plague. Now, spiritual things work funny. If you listen, you can go to our website, Google the, uh, the, uh, this one, the Simplicity of Divine Intervention. I hope it is there, okay? There's a particular message I preached years ago titled Simplicity of Divine Intervention. When divine intervention occurs, and that's one discipline we Christians must have, we must learn to recognize him. Did you hear what I said? We must learn to like, recognize God. Because when he manifests, it's usually so simple, it's easy to say, my own strength got me all this wealth. Technological advancement helped me to farm better. This happened, this happened, and I made a lot of money. So Moses said, you must remember, it is the Lord thy God that has given you the power to get wealth. Why will he say that? Because it, it, you find it so easy. You write a simple business plan. You go to a bank. They give you a loan. The loan will be very low interest. The door will open. You will buy land. You will build a factory. The raw materials will come. You will be paying. Occasionally, you have some distress. Then somebody will lend you money. Then doors will open. You will sell and sell and sell. From having that idea till becoming a billionaire, it's just 15 years. You're not talking about you know, expanding to Europe. Then one day, they tell, you read your own worth in the newspaper, and they tell you you are worth 2.5 billion U.S. dollars. They're like, ah? Uh-huh. Then you start giving stupid TED Talks all over the place. How to invest in manufacturing in a difficult economy. You now tell the story of your life, and then those who don't understand this principle of divine blessing, they will want to replicate it. The Bible says that when the Egyptians tried to replicate passing through the water, what happened? They drowned. When you're definitely telling the story, they say, ah, it can be done. It can be done anywhere. I did it here. God said, thou shalt remember. It is the Lord thy God that gave you the power to create wealth. When divine things happen, they often look very, very simple. You know, talking to my wife yesterday, she was saying that, ah, that this thing that's happening, I prayed about it, but is it what I did that solved this problem or the prayer? I said, who told you they are mutually exclusive? I hope you're getting my point. She had something she wanted to solve. She, I didn't even know she prayed about it. Then the thing was solved, but in between the prayer and the solution, she had taken some physical steps. She, she asked me that, is it the prayer that I walked or the steps that I took? I said, they are not mutually exclusive. When God is answering prayers, he makes you take steps. Which, naturally speaking, may appear predictable. Yeah, if you took those steps, it would have worked. Listen, <laughs> Hezekiah was sick. He was going to die. Isaiah said, the Lord said, he has heard your prayers. He will give you 15 more years. And I said, make a cake of figs and put on the wound, the ball. He had some problem with his leg. And then it will be, it will be healed. You know, people will open books, uh, schools, teaching naturalist medicine. Because when Ezekiah was sick, that was what he used. And this interesting part, you may actually find, and that's how God works, you may find that he had a particular unusual kind of bacteria that infected his legs that day. And then when he brought that particular breed of figs, 
they have some chemicals, some phytochemicals that we ooze, and they have this um, antibacterial activity which is absorbed. God said, there's no problem. Ezekiah, let them say what they want to say. I didn't work miracles for them, did I? You that I worked it for. If you say, thank God for the herbalist, oh, this man in Babana, the Bungi herbalist, where for, you know the way our guys talk on radio. Like one woman said that, come to my shop. I'm the Igbo woman, married to a Yoruba man, that my father-in-law gave me one medicine called <laughs> I, I was alone in the car that day. I bought into laughter. But those who don't know, don't know the meaning of Ajebido, this is a fantastic spiritual name. No, Ajebido means it works. <laughs> they say, ah, this man, Ogunge, he knows. Because they look at them. Just because that was how I healed who? Ezekiah. Ezekiah, if you want to die, say it. Those who are saying it, no problem. I won't, I'm not here contesting with anybody. Let them go. But Ezekiah, what do you do? You will go back to the temple and offer a sacrifice in thanksgiving. What am I trying to say? COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2. When God says to the spirit of death, it is enough. Suddenly, an idea will come upon somebody. It will be rolled out. They can even give him a Nobel Prize. But God just be laughing. Say, wait, give him Nobel Prize. Give him Nobel Prize. The next one I come, when I come back, there will be so much confusion. Even the man himself will fall sick. But what the world does is to give glory to the method that the father used. I hope you're getting my point here. And we believers must be careful that we don't fall for that. That's what, like I told you, I'm just preaching today. I'm teaching today so that we understand the basis for faith. So that when you are praying, you know when God answers prayers, first we have established there's nothing physical. It's all spiritual. But being spiritual, it will not have physical manifestations. Then when God has received the offering from David, I don't know how he served in that particular position at that particular time. Maybe a man like Ahitophel will come to David and say, Sir, this plague has reached this particular place. Let us stop the movement of cattle. Because that thing had not moved, entered Jerusalem. You remember that? Ahitophel will say, Let us stop the movement of cattle. Let's quarantine all the cattle here. Any cattle that falls sick within three days will slaughter all of them. And this and this and that. And they will say, Go ahead and do it. Then those who write the history books medically will say, David solved that plague by stopping the movement of cattle. But when the scribes, when the priests were going to write chronicles, God gave them insight. And they said, do you remember one particular story David told? They said, yes. That he saw the angel. That God heard the angel speak to him. And there are witnesses. Onan saw it. His four sons saw it. Say yes. Said, write the truth. What is the truth? The one you saw from where? Above. Not the one you saw from beneath. Believers, bear these things in mind when you want to pray. If you don't bear them in mind, you will not be able to pray. Some people think they, they are waiting for um, medical scientists to discover something. They might not, or they might. So, what right prayer should you pray? God have mercy. Let me give the prayer points and we'll close with it. One, you ask, you ask God to have mercy. You ask God to stir the spirit of apostleship again on the church so that they will start preaching the truth. You will ask the Lord to teach the people the truth that they might describe him properly for the earth to recognize. 
You pray those prayers and say, Lord, heal the earth. Remember, listen, I need to say this for everybody to bear it in mind. If God answers the prayer, it means there's work to do. Did you hear what I said? If God answers the prayer, what does it mean? There's work to do. What is the work? Preachable. Don't let the world hound you. Because what they do is that don't criticize. Accept, you know, people must be inclusive. Don't call what is evil, evil. Call what is evil, alternative lifestyle. Once I was, I, I, was it Pierce Morgan? He was talking on TV. Talking with this man, um, Joel Austin. And he was telling Joel Austin that, what does Joel Austin think about homosexual marriages? And that's when I said, well, I don't know. All I know is that the Bible says it is wrong. He said, who are you to judge? I said, see, I told my wife, look at what they do. He said, you shouldn't judge. Basically, don't say what we are doing is wrong. Who are you? I wish I was the one that he, he asked the question that day. Because I had my answer for him. I said, you introduce me as the pastor. I teach the word of God. I am not judging. I'm giving the opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his servant. The same man, one day, he asked them, the saddleback man. What's his name? Purpose living life. Rick Warren. How did you meet your wife? It was a trap. Setting a trap for Jesus Christ. You know? How did you meet your wife? I met her. You fell in love with her? He said yes. He said, what if you are falling in love with a man? <laughs> Rick Warren said, listen, every love falling, I'm adding my own words now, every love falling has boundaries. I could not have fallen in love with a man. It's like me right now. I can't fall in love with a woman. If I fall in love with a woman, I will get up. You know when you fall? You say, why? I have married. If I fall in love with another woman, I will die. I hope you're getting my point. That's what I mean. There's nothing spiritual. So, yes, I don't mean like, oh, no, I'm so happy. No, 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 no. It's a common sense thing. It's a common sense thing. No matter how much I love the woman, I can't fall in love. I will stand in love. Amen. Praise God. I will love you with the love of God. Hallelujah. But when I was single that time, I used to fall in love, fall out, fall in, fall out. Just before, you know, Israel. <laughs> You know, when you have a receptor that's not occupied, you are testing, say, this one, you go fit, you know, go fit. So, Rewarren said to you, say, bros, forget that. We can fall in love, but you get boundary. According to Ravi Zacharias, the person that made us gave us boundaries. And Ravi Zacharias, I like the way he illustrated it. He said, I travel a lot. Most of the time, my wife can't travel with me. I stay alone in hotels. He said, there are temptations. A lot of times. He said, but I recognize that I've been given rules to operate by. No matter the temptations, I have to work to overcome them. Simple. So they're trying to tell him that uh, there are people who have same-sex attraction. He said, you work on the attraction. If you recognize the rule that the creator has given you, you don't just say because you feel like one way, it has to be that way. No. What am I going to say? If we are going to do the work of apostleship on this earth again, we have to start telling them the truth. Because, he said, the light of the body is the eyes. He said, if the light that is in you is darkness, he said, how great is that darkness? If the church is to be the light of the world, if the church itself becomes dark, the world is hopeless. Hear the word of the Lord. What plague will come after this one? It will be so terrible, even Christians will run to hide. Let us pray. Let's give a lot of thanks once again. Let's thank him. Like I said today, what I just want to do is teach, and I've done that. Let's thank him for revelation. Let's thank him for understanding. 
Let's thank him for revelation. Let's thank him for understanding. Pray, wherever you are, just say to the Lord, help me to see from above. Help me to see from above. I've heard your words today. Make them real to me. Lord, speak to me. Whichever way you, you want to. Some people, God will explain things to them through visions, through revelations, through dreams. Just say to the Lord, say in the name of Jesus, help me to see the truth. So I can pray effectively. Because when we don't understand truth, prayer is ineffective. We'll not be praying with faith. We'll not be praying with faith. Say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, help me. Help me to see truth. Help me to see truth. Help me to see truth. Help me to see your truth. Help me to see your truth. Let's just pray that prayer in 20 seconds and say, Lord, help me to see things from above. Open my eyes that in every situation I will interpret it the way I see from above. Not with respect to what is happening naturally here, but with the things I see. Let's thank the Lord and say, Lord, we thank you again for sending your word to us. We have received this word and we give you thanks. Blessed be your name forever for bringing your words to us. Pure word. Thank you that we have access to this truth. Thank you that we are walking. At least the first thing that the Lord does for us is to give us access to truth. And we thank God that he has given us access to this truth. We thank God that we are not blind. We thank God for his patience towards us. We thank God for his mercies that we have enjoyed thus far. Just in one minute, give the Lord thanks. Thank him. How bad it would have been that we don't have access at all to you know, messages and truths like this. But the Lord has shown us so much mercy that we do not walk in darkness. Therefore, he has brought light through his word. Lord, we give you praise. Blessed be the name of our Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen.